a case of really great beer for just $50? You can. Grab some Great Lakes Lager. A case of GLL is only 50 bucks. Less expensive and tastes way better than that boring beer our friends buy. I know, right? Hi, I'm Peter. And I'm Isabel. And, and we're, we're from, from Great, great Lakes, Lakes Brewery, where you can get 24 tall cans of Great Lakes Lager at our brewery, our brew pub, home delivery, or at the beer store for, for only $50. $50. So whether it's a house party, a game night, or a trip to the lake, We'll, we'll always bring, bring the GLO. Great Lakes Lager from Toronto's local brewery. Oh yeah! GreatLakesBeer.com Come celebrate art, culture, and community in Little Jamaica with the City of Toronto's Cultural Hotspot. A collection of community-led arts events, including a Pan-African film festival, reggae performances, a youth cultural festival, and much more. The Cultural Hotspot is on now, with free events and activities for all ages until the end of October. To find out what's on, visit toronto.ca slash culturalhotspot. Let's make your next donation to CIUT on me. Clayton Book here, broker with PSR Brokerage. And when you buy, sell, or lease your next property with me, I'll donate 5% to CIUT on your behalf. Find out more at movewithclay.com. From the roots up, CIUT 89.5 FM, Toronto. My trouble was gone. Oh, Lordy, my trouble so hard. Oh, Lordy, my trouble so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble was gone. And welcome for our first show of the season. I'm back. Sherry DeNovo, the Radical Reverend, and I want to thank uh, Chris Smaller, who's been holding it down all summer long, the other Radical Reverend on the Radical Reverend Show. So you're listening very live, and you're listening very live at CIUT 89.5 FM. I want to thank, right off the bat, Alice and Riley, who are on the other side of the glass. Um, we're going to be incorporating Alice a little bit and her knowledge into the show. She's an editor at the Varsity. And it's left lefter leftist time, my friends, in listener land. And today, Today, uh, panelists that you've heard many times before are A-Team. We have Emma Wakelin, liberal strategist. We have Alex Grant, Marxist activist, and myself, uh, Sherry DeNova. And we're going to kick around. There's so much to talk about now in this world. But let's start right at home in Ontario. Uh, that word that we all have come to understand, I think, in this province, and that's Greenbelt. Um, we just were listening to a live press conference from Queen's Park with our Premier uh, Doug Ford talking about how wonderful the Conservative Party is, how fantastic the state of everything is in Ontario, how they've done better than any other previous government um, since Jesus was in short pants. And by the way, we're building, uh, a, we're building incredible housing, and that's what we're doing. I'm going to throw it to you first, Alex. What else are they doing? What else did you say? This scandal is, it just hits from so many different angles. So it is an environmental scandal, it is a corruption scandal, they're just blatantly lying to people, 
and and they're not taking accountability. It took three weeks for the ministers to resign. This basic notion of ministerial accountability that for the listeners who don't know the issue, the green belt is the wilderness, wetlands and farmland around the GTA. Very important. It's the lungs of the GTA, cleans the, uh, the air uh, you know, to an extent. And and they've sold off, they've given, allowed development on 15 land parcels to heavy donors, very small number of donors to the Conservative Party. And they've benefited to $8.3 billion. $8.3 billion. It's insane. Uh, total scandal. And they, they're trying to blame the minister's staffer. Uh, he resigned, the minister was trying to hang on, he's finally resigned on the weekend, no, it was yesterday actually, mm -hmm. yeah, things moved so quickly, and Ford now is just trying to sort of uh, cover it up, say, oh no, we're building housing, we're building housing, they're not building housing, the report says this has got nothing to do with housing, and if they do build any housing, it's going to be huge millionaire mansions, it's not going to be anything that helps people. Yeah, Emma, weigh in. Well, listen, if you are a member of one of the dozen or so billionaire, billionaire developer families in this province, Ontario has never been better for you. If you are anyone who's not one of those 12 or 13 people, life is terrible because uh, Alex is right. This is a scandal of, of huge proportions, multifaceted, and it's probably maybe the biggest scandal, uh, corruption scandal in Ontario politics in the last 50 years. Um, it is an unprecedented transfer of, of protected uh, greenbelt land to private developers for way under market value. Um, if, if this was stocks, it would be insider trading and there would be criminal charges. Um, I'm glad the RCMP is looking into this because this is clearly a dirty deal. The, the, not only did the minister need to resign immediately, the premier needs to resign uh, and a royal commission needs to be called to look at what's going on here. And immediately the feds need to step in and freeze if they can. I, I'm, I'm not a, an expert on this, but they, the, these deals need to be frozen immediately. Uh, Emma, and just uh, because you worked at Queen's Park and you know what it looks like, um, uh, first of all, on the lobbying aspect here, uh, there was a little, there was this kind of sidebar conversation about how, you know, registering as a lobbyist and all of that has kind of fallen by the wayside. I mean, it was always kind of a joke, I thought, but um, I did tweet out that the best lobby event was Doug Ford's daughter's wedding, and uh, <laughs> that if you really wanted to to lobby Doug Ford, that that's where you went. Um, you mentioned the RCMP looking into this, and I just wanted to raise the issue that since 2017, the RCMP have been looking into Jason Kenney. <laughs> so, so we live in hope. We live in hope. Well, but fair I enough. Mean, you know, yeah. Fair enough. But at least it's not in the hands of the OPP, where the commissioner is directly appointed by the premier and. Uh, we all know that it was uh, an appointment that this person had no business getting appointed to that role. So the, the premier has politicized the OPP. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a disaster. We need a royal commission to look into this. Yeah. And Alex, you had made a mention because you were listening to the Ford uh, presser this morning, um, just minutes ago, maybe even still ongoing, but I doubt it. Um, they usually rip them out of there after about 45 minutes because it gets nasty. <laughs> Um, but you mentioned these kind of doubling down. It's not just 15 lots anymore that he's talking about. 
Yes, well, he presented it as a concession that they're going to review the 15 lots and the $8.3 billion handout. And, uh, and they said, OK, it's a concession. They review it. Maybe they'll be cancelled. They'll be viewed, you know, to, to reviewed to build housing, supposedly. But what they're going to do is they're going to review something like 800 land parcels. So out of this uh, partial uh, reduction in the green belt, they could they could be doubling it. They should be could be tripling it. The land that is paved over in the green belt and taken out of wilderness and ag agriculture yeah. and wetland. And, and the bottom line is that we don't need to build on the green belt. Exactly. There, there is plenty of places to build in this. If we want to solve the housing uh, crisis in this in this country or in this province, the 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 biggest stumbling blocks are municipal approvals. And, that, uh, and we need to build up, not out, in, in our urban centers. And the, the second thing is we don't have the skilled trades people to do it. Uh, there is a shortage of, of people with the skills to build homes, and that's why the, the federal government is bringing, raising the immigration quotas, uh, because we need to bring workers who know how to build these homes. And we're not going to meet the targets. We need to build a million and a half homes a year just to catch up. And we're not going to be able to do that if we don't have the people to build a home. So that's, those are the two big issues holding back. It's not the green belt. It's not, it, that is just a way to give billions of dollars to Doug Ford's friends. And I and also, I'm going to go to Alex X, but I, I also want to interject on the housing issue. I mean, I'm, you know, it's like a Mego issue for me. My eyes glaze over. I was a housing critic for a while when I was first there. And um, to me, it's about political will. That issue is all political will um, and, and very little else. I mean, real rent control, we don't have it. Um, we have 65,000, last count, empty units sitting just sitting as investment properties that could be used as housing. We have loss of commercial space. We have, you know, that's available now since COVID that could be transformed. Um, I mean, there's lots of space already. There's lots of units already that aren't on the market that are just being seen at, by consortiums as investments. So, I mean, that, to me, there's so much more that we could do um, and we don't. Um, and, uh, and, and, and ultimately, I think it's really like a bookkeeper's mentality because I remember you know, um, being in a committee with the then housing minister was a nice guy, much nicer than um, than the current. Um, and uh, and he and I, and we pointed out that it cost about one hundred and fifty dollars at that point a night to keep somebody in a shelter, which is insane. You can stay in a hotel for that, um, and that's not even counting the real costs of homelessness and poverty, which is policing and healthcare mm -hmm. and everything else. And he said, "Yeah, I know, but I mean, to put you have to put a lot of money in up front to do it, right? And then it takes." eight to 10 years to see the fruition of that investment. Well, you might not be in power in eight to 10 years. So, I mean, isn't that the political real reason? I think, I, I think yes. However, I, and you know, I don't want to invoke the spirit of Alex in my head here, but um, <laughs> we are dangerously close to a tipping point. Um, with, there are generations now of, of folks, millions of Ontarians who have lost hope they will ever be able to buy their own home. And, and now they're fearful. There, there are people crying on social media, um, tearful videos that they cannot afford rent and they're living out. They have nowhere else to go. So if you don't solve this right now, the political will is going to disappear from you anyway because you will be thrown out of office. We are on the precipice of some pretty serious revolutionary um, um, well, that sounds like an opening for you, Alex. Yes. Well, I'm Go quite happy to be a representative of the specter of communism. <laughs> and the main problem in housing is 
the billionaire developers, the, uh, the building corporations. That's the main problem here. The billionaire buddies who got an extra $8.3 billion from the Ford government. From or the more, Ford. if they flip it. Oh, yeah, yeah. More. and if they open up more, even more. And, and so actually QP recently came out with a very good statement uh, that we need, the solution is public housing, social housing. We can't rely upon the private developers. They're no, never going to build public and social housing. It's got to be done by the people. It's got to be done nationalised and rent geared to income, decent, affordable, and we've got to take them over. They're not building... Those corporations aren't building housing. They're not going to solve the crisis. crisis. We've got to take it out of the but, private But two sector. things I'll say on that. One is even if you nationalise or create um, a government agency to build homes... We don't have the people to build. Like there's, there's no construction workers. There, there's no shortage there. Or, or sorry, there's no. Well, um, then get let's get free education and train them. Okay, so now, I mean, you're punting it down five, ten years down the road. It, you can't train somebody overnight. But I, I get your point. Um, but the second thing is, I'm, and I'll warn you, is it, it's not right now. What I'm seeing is the trend is not that they're going towards left wing politics. People who are, who are. Um, displaced by housing, that they're angry about the way things are, that anger that's building, they're being pushed into very right-wing uh, spaces on, on social media. And if you just tuned in, boy, you've tuned into a great show. Uh, it's the Radical Reverend Show here on 89.5 CIUT-FM. And uh, we have our A team here. We've got Emma Wakelin, liberal strategist. We've got Alex Grant, Marxist activist, and yours truly, Sherry DeNovo, uh, left, lefter, leftist panel. Um, I want to kind of change the channel a little bit. We're going to kind of move move over. Um, and uh, and Emma, you, you gave the opening there. Um, we know that Polyev's up 10 points in the polls. Mm -hmm. We know that there are some, if you were a liberal um, in federal government, you might be a little nervous about your seat. Um, um, some folk have been put into the cabinet that probably need some, some shoring up there. <laughs> um, and yet, the NDP seems nowhere in the polls. Um, start us off on that. I don't know why, but it seems that the left, and I know folks might disagree with me, I include the Liberal Party into that right now, but we have surrendered social media and um, online spaces to the right. And the easiest way to, to indoctrinate people into your ideology is right now is through TikTok, it's through YouTube, it's through Twitter and the other spaces that are out there. And right now it is dominated by the alt-right. If you go on TikTok right now and you put on Ontario economy, you will be bombarded with people telling you that the, the fault of uh, the reason the, the economy is in the trash can is because of Justin Trudeau, it's because of social socialism, it's about letting half a million immigrants in uh, a year, even though those are the people that are going to build our homes. Um, uh, it, so we've abandoned, there's no left, there, there's very few left wing um, uh, or progressive voices out there and we've surrendered and if we do not somehow come up with a strategy to counter that, Polyev is still going to rise because he's able to harness anger. It's very easy to harness anger. It's, it's much harder to counter it with logic. Alex. Well, there's a difference between form and content. In terms of form, there's a ton of communist kids on uh, TikTok. There's, and, and a lot of them are getting active, involved. I know some of them are out on Labor Day. And, but the content, the fact is the left, actually, if, I, if, for these purposes, yes, I would include the liberals and the NDP together in the left 
in that uh, the federal NDP that they're not they're tied at the hip, and they're part of the status quo. And uh, Polyev is railing against the status quo when there's a ton wrong with the status quo. That's, he's actually going up in popularity with youth. That's uh, utterly scandalous and astounding, especially young men, angry young men are supporting Polyev, whereas... Angry the, young white men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Straight, white, cisgendered men, just to add. But, yeah. they, but they're still, you know, uh, they're still the youth, and they're still, the, you know, young people are the future. Um, and you've got to be opposed to the status quo when the status quo is failing. But and, I, and so it's the whole NDP liberal deal that the NDP has got no credibility in opposing the... Uh, uh, the federal government when it's not when it's propping them up. Okay, but asking the, to Emma's point though about social media, about the the power of media. Period. Oh yeah, do it. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, we we absolutely we're just we're not there in the way that they're there. And I would also add perhaps that you know people were down rabbit holes and this is where we we're all getting our information. We're not watching mainstream media. We're not watching news like our parents' generation did. We are literally on social media to get all of our facts and figures. And hence, you know, you follow you follow down your rabbit hole. You get only a certain set of facts and figures. And absolutely, the, the right is there, and it's and it's fast and it's funded. Um, I want to make that point too because it's very well, I, profoundly of, of well it funded. It, and, yeah. and there's no. It's not a coincidence that the blame for inflation, the blame for your your price of bread being five dollars a loaf is not on Galen Weston, it's on Justin Trudeau. Well, Justin Trudeau doesn't set the price of, of bread in, in Loblaws or no frills. Galen Weston does. So we are ignoring the true um, villains in this and letting them off the hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I'm obviously in favor of using every media, but the, uh, the politicians of the soft left can't say anything uh, that's actually speaks to people's problems because they end up being so moderate and they end up biting their own tongue. So you've got to have something to say. Polyev, for all our criticisms of him, uh, has something to say and that is connecting. Yeah. And, and there's a real danger of a Polyev government. Uh, and so we need a, a much more strident uh, left wing. And and um, I'll add to what you're saying, Alex, in, in terms of um, NDP recent governments, I'm thinking BC, in particular with um, Horgan, um, who now works for Big Coal. Yes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when we do have majority governments, I mean, this has been, you know, a rant of mine for ages, um, because we have first past the post, which, you know, we can object to, and we should, I think, democratically speaking. But I mean, if you get a majority, you have a dictatorship for all intents and purposes, you can do what you want. When conservatives get a majority, they do what they want. They rewrite the entire province. We've seen this under Harris. We've now seeing it under Ford. When Bob Ray gets elected, when Horgan gets elected, they wimp out. Mm-hmm. They don't do, they aren't, don't make the dramatic um, changes that could be made. When you look at social democracy in Scandinavia, for example, you see a history, well, it's being, you know, clawed back now. But, I mean, you saw a history of, you know, one government or two governments with a majority doing things like free childcare, free post-secondary, you know, things that really made a difference in people's lives. And it's very hard to undo them then. Um, but, yeah, um, but I agree. Yeah. Um, this ranting about the elites. I also agree that we sold our soul for, I, I say, $650. Somebody corrected me and says, like, twice that. So whatever that is, $1,100. I mean, I mean, in the NDP. 
GDP federally, like we could have done so much better. Like what about a guaranteed living income? What what about something much more dramatic? Yeah. What about pharmacare for heaven's sakes? And liberals have promised that for forever. We still don't have it. NDB could have demanded it. Um, so now we've kind of hooked our, you know. And public sentiments are overwhelmingly left-wing when there's polling. Yes, the in terms of the polarization and crisis, the right wing ends up do, doing better electorally because they're more strident. But if you look at polarization of public opinion, public opinions, especially with young people, is overwhelming to the left, mm -hmm. actually. And and political representatives aren't tapping into it. Yeah, what about that 18 to 43 year old um, group, Emma, tends to go left, yeah. I would say political, pol or political opinions and $2 will get you a cup of coffee at Tim Hortons. It, unless progressives get out, off their butts and vote in elections, we're going to get Doug Ford re-elected. We're going to get Polyev elected. That's the reality of the system right now. And the, the right wing is extremely talented at gaming the system. Look at what's happening in Wisconsin. Uh, they, they, they know how to game the system. Um, so unless we... Say more about Wisconsin, because I'm, I'm not that familiar with it, and probably listeners aren't either. So the, the, the Wisconsin Republicans have a super majority. They just want a, a seat. In, and uh, recently, um, the, the Supreme Court went uh, liberal, um, or left-wing. There, there was a, a, a woman who won her Supreme Court seat. Uh, now So now it's four to three for progressives. The Republicans are now saying they're going to impeach the um, the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court now wants to redistribute and take away gerrymandering. While that the Republicans know that's a problem, so they're going to impeach the 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 judge. And not only are they going to impeach her, they're not going to convict her because if they convict her and she leaves, the governor, who's a, a Democrat, will replace her with a Democrat. So they're going to leave her in limbo, which means it's a three-three court, which means nothing will get passed, no gerrymandering will will be fixed. So they know how to they know how to game the system. They're doing the same thing with voter rights in the U.S. They're, they they. I, I mean, this is this is the this is the thing. I mean, I, I mean, we can't just say, well, revolution is the answer, because meanwhile, we're having elections. Meanwhile, people are, you know, can't pay their rent. Meanwhile, things are happening, you know, that that voting can change or ameliorate. Well, you can't just nag people to vote. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to vote because you nag them. Actually, they'll go the other way. And, and that's really the uh, lesson of the U.S. Democrats. Just, oh, you must, you must vote and you're a bad person if you don't. In fact, Electoral politics are not divorced from politics on the streets. Indigenous leaders in Ontario, getting back to the Greenbelt scandal, Indigenous leaders in Ontario said, look, our uh, traditional lands have been violated on this and we're going to protest this and we're going to blockade and occupy if you try to develop on our traditional lands. And, and they invited everybody, not just Indigenous Ontarians, together with them on it. That that's the the right has learned mobilize people. Politics isn't just putting a piece of paper in a box. And if you mobilize people and get active and do extra electoral politics, and then have political representatives that reflect those mass movements on the streets and, and, and on the ground, then yes, people will see a reason to vote. Uh, they are two tactics. Uh, they are not divorced, and you start to divorce the, one from the other, and you won't get anywhere. You're, you're listening to uh, the Radical Reverend Show here on 89.5 FM, and we have our left-lefter 
leftist panel with Emma Wakelin and Alex Grant. Um, just quickly want to change the channel a little bit um, since you opened that up. Um, one, of the, one of the times we have seen Doug Ford back down was the education workers strike. It was a wildcat strike. It was not a legal strike. It actually got support from the other labor unions. Um, what about that, Emma? What about that kind of resistance? I mean, we, we're looking at teachers now. We're looking at, and we'll talk about, you know, the OSST, OSSTF situation, but, you know, teachers, people are going back to schools. Um, if, if all the unions got together, they could bring down Doug Ford, no? Sure. And, and you know what? I, I will say I'm, I'm a proud member of a union. I'm an act member of ACTRO. And, uh, my sibling uh, unions in the U.S. are, are doing a heroic uh, strike action against the studios uh, to try to combat the insidious increase of use of AI. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. The, the, but the, the, the issue is, over the last 20 years, I, I think the, the, the union bosses, for lack of a better term, I hate using that term, but that's who most of them are, um, they, they got either spooked for the, by the Mike Harris years or they are comfortable where they are and there's no incentive for them to work together um, because there hasn't been a lot of cohesion over the last 25, 30 years uh, in unions in this, in this province. Um, so, yeah, Alex. What you've actually got is a lot of workers voting down recommended contracts, contracts recommended by union leadership. And, and that is unheard of. And I, I don't know what the last time that happened. Did, did that happen in the 70s? I was too young to remember. But you know, it's, uh, there's a wave after wave of union executives and bargaining teams putting forward contracts which workers represent because of inflation, overwhelmingly, and, and other issues of workplace uh, justice and harassment. That, and, and now, should we get to the OSSTF? Well, we first of all, let's talk yet? about Metro, because Metro is okay. presumably yeah. ratified. Like, they turned down one um, yes. agreement, but I haven't seen any details on the agreement that they did ratify. Yeah, we don't. Well, I, I've heard mixed stories, whether it was mm. a good one or a bad one. But yes, and, and sometimes you get the same union bureaucracy presenting slightly warmed over leftovers of the same contract to people who vote again until they get it right, vote again and vote again. We need a revolution in our union leadership. Uh, and I think so, in some unions are reflecting that. I think you are getting some new left, more lefter or more responsive leaders responsive to the rank and file. Give but it, there's a real pressure from below. Yeah. Is there an example of that? Because, I mean, the prob part of the problem, I think, is, you know, I mean, it's a pretty nice, cushy job to be in leadership in a union. I mean, we're talking about, in many cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary, uh, gold-plated benefits, perks, and then, of course, is the criminal element. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> you know, we don't have to mention names there, but we all know, you know, the, I mean, I, I, you know, there's the Diaz's and there's the, you know, Smokies and the others um, that have had some problems, um, you know. I, I mean, so how does rank and file, though? I mean, rank and file vote for them, right? I mean, again, we're voting. They're voting these people in. Well, as we know, all electoral systems, you'd, you'd, you know, the people don't always get the representation and the leadership they they deserve, and it's a, it deserves and it needs organising as well. The there needs to be left organising in unions to over, overthrow right wing entrenched bureaucracies like Diaz and Smokey and stuff like that. And and I wouldn't say any any of the new leadership is perfect by any means, but uh, they have been more reflective. And that and that was an example of the education workers strike in that uh, 
to, to the credit of uh, some of the leaders in QP, when the rank and file said we are willing to go on a legal strike, they, uh, the leadership didn't stop that from happening. So uh, that is an advance. And there needs to be more of that. Yeah. Emma, union unions, how do we uh, get them to speak with one voice? Yeah, well, I, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head, uh, Sherry, because there, I think that the, the, the elites at the unions, the top level uh, folks, they have a lot more in common with the folks that they're negotiating with uh, than they do, that they negotiate on behalf of. If you have someone who's making a quarter million or $300,000 a year and has all those benefits, they have every incentive to keep the status quo the way it is, to defend their positions and spend a lot of money to try to either game the system or at least hire very talented elect, um, campaign operatives to, to win these elections. One, I'll say one thing and then maybe we should go to a, a musical break for, for a bit and we'll come back. Uh, you're listening to the Left, Left, or Leftist on the Radical Reverend show here. Um, but you, you and I know, Emma, because you've worked in political po- parties, so we know how, how conferences are very well organized. <laughs> And especially delegated vote, voting, but even if it's one person, one vote, um, I, I mean, who gets to the mic, you know, uh, that that is orchestrated, that is controlled, um, messaging gets controlled, they tend to be raw, raw events for the leadership, whoever the leadership is, and, um, and, and, uh, and what's happening around kind of discussion tables, kitchen tables, and workplace tables um, tends to not make it to a lot of those floors. Uh, when conventions start. So, I, I mean, I'll just leave that hanging in the air. Um, and we're going to go for a, to a bit of a break. Um, Alice, what tune are we playing? This one. <laughs> Here it comes. There we go. Conquer the world. Appropriate. We'll give it a minute. Sister bleeding hard with all of your compassion Your labors do the hurt but can't assuage temptation Hey man of science with your perfect rules of measure Can you improve this place with the data that you gather? Hey mother mercy can your lungs be improved forever? Is your fecundity a trammel or a treasure?
And we are back. You are listening, or uh, you were listening to Bad Religion, but you are now listening to The Radical Reverend Show. I'm your host, Sherry DeNovo, um, back in beautiful September here at the Campus University of Toronto. And it's our left lefter leftist panel with Emma Wakelin and Alex Grant. We left off talking about unions and how we kind of really need the unions to step up in this province and others um, that they have shown with the workers, the education workers, that they can hold the government to account, can and get some results um, and kind of why aren't they and and Alex uh, I'll just um, ask you, you you wanted to comment something about the OSSTF uh, move recently which was kind of shocking I think yeah they, they, they did something uh, that's just a terrible idea uh, that they agreed that they wouldn't go on strike and that if there were any outstanding issues they would send them to an arbitrator to basically dictate to the rank-and-file teachers, the rank-and-file workers, on what contract they would get. And this could quite likely have a below-inflation contract and quite likely not address any of the the major secondary issues around uh, negotiations, sort of health and safety. Uh, Actually, the other day I was talking to an education assistant working with... uh, uh, children with special needs and and sometimes there's significant health and safety issues there that are unaddressed and an arbitrator is just not going to do those things but most importantly it removes workers democracy it removes the right of workers to say this contract is good enough and I'll accept it or that contract is not good enough I reject it go on strike do whatever it removes that democratic right from workers. Thankfully, the other three main education unions, or teachers' unions, rejected that. And but then it but it stops the solidarity and it weakens the demands from the other unions. So uh, very bad move by OSSTF. And 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 really, we we have to come out against this move for binding arbitration, which again actually works in the interest of union bureaucracies, not in the favor of rank and file workers. It takes away rank and file control. Emma, any comments about the OSSDF deal? Uh, it sounds to me like it's very, um, it, it's on the same theme of what we just talked about. Uh, I, I agree with Alex. Um, this sounds like you are removing one of the biggest tools from your tool chest as a, as a, as a union is the, the threat of strikes. Um, arbitration rarely ever goes well for for workers, and um, you're right. If if this is a protection of the status quo, again, who benefits from the status quo? Not the, the rank and file, not the teachers. It's the the union leaders. It's the the school board. So, um, and we were all privy to a, a pretty disgraceful moment, I think, in Ontario politics, which um, about the fifteen dollar um, hourly wage when Ford was elected, and we had. This photo op of all the, you know, of major unions uh, leaders standing with him, congratulating him for bringing back the fifteen dollar <laughs> hourly minimum wage, and I thought, wow, like, uh, you know, I, this is a conservative government is, whose mandate is to destroy unions, essentially among other things, and also to destroy our public education and our health care, um, and here they are, you know, standing with him for photo ops. But let's not be hopeless. Uh, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. say the other side of the story, that as much, yes, you had uh, Dias from Unifor and Smokey from Opsu, that who uh, did real sellout uh, moves, 
they were kicked out. They were kicked out uh, with a large element of rank and file pressure. So it is possible. It isn't easy. It isn't easy. You get entrenched bureaucracies. It's difficult to get rid of entrenched bureaucracies. But no bureaucracy is stronger than the forces of history, uh, stronger than the people. If people want something, they can kick out anybody and put somebody else who's more reflective in them. Uh, but it helps if there are uh, socialist activists, uh, left-wing activists, pushing for that and organizing for that to get away from these stage-managed uh, union conventions. Emmett, let's change the, the channel here for a bit and talk about something that is still going on. Hundreds of out-of-control wildfires across the country and in our own province in Ontario. Um, so bad that uh, kind of the height of it, um, who knows when the real height will it's still going on, but um, in June, for example, Toronto and Montreal had some of the worst air quality in the world. And it was so bad that there were these pictures that I saw on social media of, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge completely encased in what looked like fog, but was really smoke in New York City coming from Canada. Um, and the comment was that walking out in New York City was like smoking half a package of cigarettes. Um, that's New York. That's the distance mm -hmm. from what was going on here. Um, uh, and uh, what, you know, what happened there? Well, I'll say this. I spent yesterday Labor Day doing the most Ontario Labor Day thing you can do. I was helping a friend clean her condo that she was selling because of rising interest rates. She can't afford to keep the condo. So <laughs> I was out on her balcony cleaning the window and um, the, the towels after cleaning the grime were black, like pitch black. And that was all smoke residue from this, this summer. The, the, the reality is we've had more forest fires raging in this province and in this country than we've ever had before. Almost half the, the, the province has been on fire at some point over this, this uh, year. And still, we saw the horrors in, in BC. And it's not just northern forest fires that have natural fire cycles. We're seeing forest fires in Hawaii. We're seeing forest fires in the United Kingdom. These are not traditional places you would expect to see forest fires. The, the world is on fire. We've had the hottest summer on, on, on record. And which is just beating last year's record, which was just beating the year before. So we are on a, a precipice of a, of a complete collapse of our, of our ecosystem. And if we don't take drastic steps right now, which will probably, to be honest, just keep the climate to where it is now, the, the terrible climate, we're not going to get any better, but we might be able to, sur uh, to, to do something to, to survive and make it catastrophic. I want to I want to bring in Alice. Uh, Alice is, is uh, works on the other side of the glass. Here is one of our wonderful techs, um, also editor at the Varsity. Alice, um, you've had some personal experience with this issue. Um, maybe talk to us about what's going on with the wildfires. Uh, yeah, so I worked at Ontario Parks last summer, um, and a lot of my friends uh, they work for MNR Fire. And so what's um, that just, just oh yeah uh, so MNR is the Ministry of Natural Resources and they have uh, like th they are th they do the forest firefighting in the province of Ontario so I have a bunch of friends who work for um, that kind of branch of government and I've been talking to them and they kind of illustrated how their working conditions are and it's not great yeah um, you you had mentioned 60 uh, the, the the funding for this for it is caught by 67 percent is that correct? Uh, yeah. So um, the province cut 67% of the firefighting budget. And um, at the same time, they're kind of um, spending a lot of money trying to fly 
firefighters in from outside of Canada. Um, and so it just kind of feels like an impossible battle to fight because, you know, we, we're having the worst fire season ever in Canada, but we have, like, less resources to fight it than we did before. Yeah, one of the realities I know is that a lot of these firefighters are working for nothing. They are volunteers, and they don't have... You were saying they don't even have respirators. Yeah. They're, they're fighting fires without appropriate PPE. Well, this is the same songbook that at the beginning of the pandemic. The, the Ford government cut public health spending at, at just before the pandemic. We saw what the, the result of that was, and also cut let warehouses full of PPE expire and not replace it. And it, this sounds like the exact same incompetence. Yeah. Alex, you want to weigh in here? Well, this is clear crisis of capitalism. It is a very clear crisis of capitalism. When the top 100 corporations are responsible to, for 71% of all emissions, there are no piecemeal, moderate solutions to this anymore you know we were told that replacing plastic straws would save the environment actually turns out the paper straws are just as bad just uh they've got a coating on them that's just as bad as the plastic ones there are there are no moderate solutions left and now everybody is seeing the the visceral effects of global warming days when you cannot go outside you cannot go for a run you, it's this is if you told people this even 10 years ago they said oh my god that's a that's a dystopia that's uh, your uh, fear-mongering that's the responsibility of production for profit that doesn't care about the environment and uh, and the people need to take hold of it we, we cannot let these polluting corporations continue and uh, and, and people yeah, and, and there's this huge media propaganda to try and get people just to sort of say it's hopeless and there's nothing you can do. Whereas we have to have hope because if we don't have hope, then uh, then, then we're all ending up in a very, very hot place. And, and, and the other thing is the, the, the corporations are, are, are smart on this and they're spending a lot of money um, uh, funding this into it's the, it's the same anti-vax people who riled against vaccines and public health measures. Now they're talking about that it's um, Oprah Winfrey set the, the fires in Hawaii. Justin Trudeau had drones spewing fire in, in Northern. And, and for some reason, the WEF is setting these fires for some reason, or it's Jewish space lasers. I don't know. But if you go on the conservative right-wing spaces and t and listen to what they're saying about the forest fires they still don't acknowledge climate change they're they're blaming it on conspiracy theories and 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 it's just it's um it, there can be no compromise on this we can't negotiate with these folks it's just there's a there's a public health crisis there's a uh, an environmental crisis we have to address it and we have to leave these people behind but i mean i i i can see the issues i mean in canada we're we're an extraction economy we're, we're oil and gas and mining, you know, mining fuels Bay Street, right? I mean, so you can, you can I mean, in any economy, whether it's socialist or not, um, is going to be, the changes that this is going to take are going to be massive. How, like, our political system isn't set up to do that, certainly not under capitalism, but, but even in any way, like, where does the money come from? Where does the revenue come from? I don't know. That's... It, well, the I, corporations, the billionaire corporations have the money. Like, and you don't have to look at them as oil and gas workers. They're energy workers. Okay, society will always need energy. Their energy doesn't always need to come from oil and gas. 
you if you take over the oil and gas company gas companies you take over the energy sector and you everybody keeps their jobs union jobs and you transition that to a sustainable energy sources so un, under control of the working class it's, itself that, else, that's the that's the only solution. You know, it's no, like it's either okay. that or, or you trust the billionaires to save the the planet. They well, ain't gonna do it. No, for well, sure, they're gonna take it over. For sure, they won't. But how do we? So well, yeah. it, it, the the twentieth century in the last twenty years, especially, has has seen the 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 graves filled with people who have dared go against the oil industry in the United States military, uh, who's the the first to jump to protect uh, the oil industry. And I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but <laughs> the old joke is that God help you if you're a small country and, and you discover oil because freedom is going to be coming your way any moment. <laughs> so we can talk about nationalizing oil companies, but these are multinational. And you're not going to be able to just do that in Canada and not have severe uh, consequences coming from the United States. But there's also a global crisis and there's global radicalization. So mm -hmm. there's movements in these countries, there's vast yeah. movements in the United States too. So it's, it's, the world is not a vacuum. Well, we, we yes, and, and we need voices of hope here, <laughs> for sure. Um, there got to be some hope somewhere. Um, transitioning to green, the, the green economy, I mean, this has been, it, let, let's talk, I, am I going to go to you for this? Let's talk about greenwashing, political greenwashing, because my goodness, everybody's done it. I mean, there's not mm -hmm. a party that's not... Uh, that <laughs> doesn't have to wear this in the in our in our electoral system. I mean, you know, um, yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. Well, Alex is right. We talk about we've banned plastic straws, plastic spoons, and plastic bags in grocery store. But now, what do we have? Plastic coated wooden spoons and reusable bags that are made out of what? Plastic. And if you go to the grocery store and you just happen to remember or you're not making a last minute shopping trip, yeah, maybe you'll have your reusable bag, but I guarantee each of us have probably had to buy those bags uh, every time we've gone shopping. And I have in a closet about a hundred <laughs> reusable bags, um, which could have easily been paper bags or, um, or the plastic bags, which by the way, when I used to go to, to, to no frills and get that orange or the yellow plastic bag, I'd use it for garbage afterwards. And now I'm just forced to go and buy a box of, of 100 plastic bags for garbage from... So it, yeah. it's performative. And uh, we've spent it, yeah. so much time on these half-measure performance that we haven't focused on the real issues. And it's a radical transition to, to wind... Um, and reusable, uh, renewable uh, energy sources in this country. And I have to cut aside uh, uh, with you, Alex, on this. Um, I don't see that happening without government walking into those offices in some major way. Um, let's shift the channel again. And by the way, you are listening to the Radical Reverend Show, 89.5 FM. And it is the left, left or leftist uh, panel, which we do every month. And our A-team here today, Emma Wakelin um, and Alex Grant. Um, let's talk about Lecce and let's talk about um, even some folk in the NDP were kind of saying I was alarmist when I said, no, no, no. I heard uh, through the grapevine from somebody that works in the education ministry that Lecce was going to follow New Brunswick and other jurisdictions, especially those south of the border, in terms of basically what, what they're proposing to do to our students is out them if they are trans, uh, gender nonconforming, um, 
and out them to their parents. Um, that if they're going to be using suitable pronouns to describe themselves, um, which they can and which has been kept in the schools for their own safety, um, the parents are going to be brought into the picture. And we all know that not, you know, some of those parents are not going to be accepting. We also know that uh, depending on what, you know, numbers you see between 35 and 50 percent of trans students will attempt suicide before they leave high school. Um, so incredibly vulnerable population. Emma, talk yeah, about this. You bring up a very, you bring up the, the, the important point there. 30 to 50 percent of tr trans kids will attempt suicide. Far too many of them will succeed. But if they even get one affirm, affirming uh, adult in their life, which is usually a teacher or a principal or someone at a school that drops into the low single digits. So that's that's a critical thing. So we're talking about children's lives. And, and the Ontario uh, um, Association of, of School Principals released a very strong statement just affirming that. So the, the, the sad thing is the trans community right now are the biggest remote controls in, the, in politics. And what I mean by that is if you want to change the subject, if you want to change the channel mm -hmm. or deflect attention away from whatever scandal you're dealing with, bring up trans uh, folks because they're a wedge issue. And it works. And Lecce, there's no coincidence that Lecce brought this up last week when they are in the midst of a giant Greenbelt scandal and they desperately need to change the channel. Higgs did the same thing. His government is failing. He needed to change the subject. Um, Ron DeSantis, uh, Florida is falling apart. He, he ki basically kicked every um, undocumented uh, worker out of, the pro out of the state and now there's no one building anything. And they're entering hurricane season and they're going to not have anyone to fix those homes. So he needs to change it so though he can rally against woke, the woke agenda is, is get the people focused on that and then brush everything else under the carpet. And it's going to cost lives. And Stephen Lecce is going to cost the lives of Ontario kids. Uh, and just uh, to, to be clear too, I mean, I, I looked at a map of the United States um, and the vast majority of the states, there were in fact only a handful of states that didn't have anti-trans bills in process somewhere, not necessarily passed, but they're tabled. They're part of the conversation now. I mean, this seems, it seemed very unlikely even five years, six years ago. I mean, this has been a rapid fire response um, in terms of anti-trans. And I'll, I'll give you one, one more sentence and then we'll go yeah. to Alex. And, yeah. and the left is just as guilty on this as the right. Uh, you've seen the cowardice of the Labour um, Party in the UK has, has now, yes, they're yes. basically an anti-trans uh, yes. political organization. Um, the NDP didn't release anything provincially. Uh, Mayor Stiles was silent on trans issues last week. Um, uh, uh, you know, there are radical, uh, what they call themselves radical um, uh, feminists uh, who claim to be progressive on everything else that are just rapidly anti-trans and they are scaring progressive movements into being silent. And um, they're working hand in hand with the alt-right and they're allowing this to, they're allowing trans people to be the wedge issue that's going to uh, make sure that we don't have any progress on housing, any progress on the environment, any progress on making sure that fascists don't get elected in the, in 
Yeah. Alex, you're British, and um, it's long come to my attention um, <laughs> that for some bizarre re cultural reason, the UK is really a hotbed of what we call TERFs. But, you know, uh, sort of those women, they're not really feminists, but who call themselves feminists, um, who are anti-trans. Um, it, you know, kind of luminaries from my generation, like Jermaine Greer, for example, have come out. We all know about J.K. Rowling coming out. And I mean, it just bizarre stuff that's coming out of the UK. Um, what's that about? Well, yeah, the Labour Party and Starmer has been terrible. And actually, it, it's part of, it was part of the anti-Corbyn campaign because Jeremy Corbyn was quite supportive of the trans community and the Blairite or the secret Blairite Starmerites uh, were using this issue to sideline uh, the, the Corbyn left wing and the Labour Party. Uh, but I, I, I want to totally agree with Emma in that this is a cynical, despicable tactic by the right wing internationally. And just to, to campaign against trans people yeah, it's against trans people. Uh, yes, it will uh, cost lives, utterly will cost lives, for cynical uh, uh, reasons just to change the political channel, to get people talking about an issue that actually for the majority of working class people is not going to fundamentally affect their life one way or another because they're failing on the economic questions. And there is a section of the working class that doesn't understand these issues. And it is the job of the um, social democratic and labor uh, leadership to educate working class people that, you know, and of course it's natural for as a young know, parent and you want to know what's going on in your kid's life. And they ask those polls sort of like, you know, if your kid was uh, changing their pronouns at school, uh, do you want to be informed of that? And, and a, nat a natural answer for any working class parent is, of course, I want to be informed. I want to know uh, because I care about my child. I want to know everything about them. But if your child is not telling you that they are having different pronouns at school, there is a reason behind that. Because you are a homophobic parent. That's the reason. And they're afraid of you. And it's, you know, it's the same as you know, someone's gay or lesbian, that, you know, to be enforced out of the closet. People come out of the closet in their own way, in their own time, in their own safety. And it's absolutely vital that that's protective. I, I, th I think the, un the teachers' unions should say very, very clearly, we are going to not do this. We'll defy it. We will defy every legal aim and we'll go to the courts and say this is under duty to protect protect yeah. mm -hmm. and, Actually, that and, and voice civil is, disobedience. You're right, that voice has not been nearly strong enough. Um, I have to give a shout out actually to Ontario English Catholic teachers um, who did come to Queen's Park, who did speak out. Um, this is before the current development, but um, talked about every every school should have a pride flag, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but I mean, every teacher's union needs to come out. Um, something historically that people might not be uh, aware of is, you know, the old uh, Reinhold Niebuhr sign you know, a quote, you know, first they came for the Jews, but I was not a Jew, blah, blah, blah. Actually, in, in the rise of the Third Reich, first they came for the trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming people. That was their first mode of attack, was on those folk. There's some great films, that, if you educate yourselves, documentaries on Netflix about this issue. But it was first the trans people that they came after. This is an old fascist yeah. playbook. Emma. I will say two <laughs> things on this. I will <laughs> say to cis people... Um, Trans, your trans friends and family members are the can, canaries in the coal mines. They are, it, when they start coming after us, 
Sherry is right, they will start coming after everyone else step by step by step. And if you are trans out there, do not hide your voice. If you are out of the closet, if you have the ability to rise up, make sure that your friends and family know the issues. Um, unfortunately, you know, we talk about that it shouldn't be on the victims to educate, but unfortunately we are in a crisis. Make your voice heard, know that you are loved, know that you have a voice, make it heard. And if you are cis out there, for God's sake, stand with your trans yeah. siblings. Yeah. Leaders need to get up and say, this is a cynical strategy. You and, and point out to everybody exactly what they're doing. And by targeting trans kids, they're not increasing the wages of workers, they're not providing housing, they're not solving the environmental crisis, they're changing the channel on all of those crises and scandals. Um, and also they're trying to divide the, the queer community as well. I mean, so you have groups operating in Ontario like Gays Against Groomers. Groomers being code name for the alt-right um, looking at um, trans and, uh, and, and who would know? I mean, who would have ever thought that they would go after, you know, drag story hours in libraries? I mean, give me a break. I mean, I, anyway, I mean, this is, this is where we're at. This is the reality out there, folks. And uh, um, let's, we got like real rapid fire. We've just got about a minute left. Um, Want to hear note of hope. Um, Emma, go for it. You just said it, in fact, but, you know, come up, rise up and support, be an ally. I would say the, the youth, um, out there are this is the most progressive generation we've ever seen and thankfully the most um, sophisticated when it comes to social media they're not they're not falling for it like generation x and even older millennials are uh, so keep fighting and keep your voice heard alex i agree with emma the youth the yeah. youth, uh, the radical youth, the, the communist youth even. Um, there is a, a desire to change the world. Uh, it doesn't have good organizing yet, but where there is desire, it will find structure. Yes, yeah, so if you're between the ages of 18 and 43, know that the world uh, can be changed. Hey, um, you know, even as a, an aging boomer, we prove that, I think, in our day. Um, so you can change the world too. Do it. Uh, until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. And by the way, before we finally sign off, please let me know. I'm very easy to find. Sherry DeNovo. I'm on Twitter. I'm such a Twitter whore. Um, and I'm on uh, other social media. Let me know what you think about the show and any ideas for shows upcoming. Do tune in again. Thanks to Riley. Thanks to Alice. Thanks to CIUT 89.5 FM. The Radical Reverend Show signs off. Trouble so hard, don't nobody know.